once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 75. As always, a reminder to rate, review, leave a review, send it to my Twitter, Max Bretos Sports, so I can put it into my memory banks. I'll get you something. I, I, I haven't sent something to someone else who did that, so whoever's listening, I apologize. I'll do that. It's my guy, Kane. He, I owe him one. Uh, I've, always, I've always confused with Danny Cannell. But that's water under the bridge. We'll make him whole. As always, rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Very busy show coming your way here in the business end. We'll be joined by Doug McIntyre, who will be covering the World Cup for Fox in Qatar. Covers the U.S. men's national team. A very talented writer. You know him. You love him. Well, I don't know about the latter. He's a good dude. We'll talk about the completion of this June window for the U.S. men's national team. And we'll talk a little bit about the World Cup because why not? The field is set. All 32 teams. It's set. Felicidades a Costa Rica. Felicidades Australia. In stoppage time, man, you talk about a busy week. Stoppage time, I will break down the new relationship between... MLS and Apple TV, what it means for you, what it means for me. It's going to change my uh, employment somewhat. No more local broadcasts, which is uh, part of uh, some concern here with regards to this move. But we'll, we'll vet it all out the best I can. That's later ahead on stoppage time. But we're getting started. It's a great week. My vacation starts later today. I'm off to Copenhagen. I don't know if I'm going to go to Copenhagen, but I'll go to Copenhagen. You need a lot of cheese and fish, bread. Oh boy, I'm gonna put on some LBs. But who cares? Soccer OG, let's go. Let's get going. Uh, exciting conversation ahead with Doug McIntyre. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. I forgot to mention that earlier. I uh, have my recap from the U.S. men's national team game against El Salvador. I really paint a positive picture. I was really impressed with how this team responded. It's a great sign in those conditions. You should be very excited about where this team is headed. It's coming together, baby. And if you compare what's going on with Mexico and Canada, the U.S. is sitting pretty. Mexico laboring with Jamaica. Uh, Canada not getting games, having uh, getting CONCACAFed and acting like they're the only ones. Come on. Join the club. <laughs> Come on, Canada. You know how this works. Eh? You know, once you get the view from the top changes a little bit once you finish first in, in qualifying. I hope Canada gets it together. But look, they had so much interruptions. Really, the Honduras game, you can't really count it. They had the game against, uh, was it Curacao? And then two cancellations. Uh, you need games. Everyone else is getting games. Everyone else had four games. You can't have two. Have one and a half. It's not going to prepare you, especially if you haven't been in a World Cup since 1986. I, I love how the U.S. came out and made it feel like it's a really important game. I was under the impression that Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney would be sent home before these two Nation League games. Said, all right, take your vacation. No, everyone's locked in. That is awesome. It's the World Cup. The players get it. The coaches get it. The fans get it. 
And now we have a complete field. And it was great to, I, I don't know how Costa Rica did it, but uh, the, the red card helped, but they were able to get by New Zealand to secure the final spot, which means there's going to be as many CONCACAF teams as there will be South American teams in Qatar. Four. That's a nice number. Sounds better than three. And you get some teams with ambition. I think Costa Rica is going to complicate things. They certainly did for a, a strong New Zealand team. I mean, the one thing I take away from that, Chris Wood, to no one's surprise, really, he's a good player. Should have scored. Should have scored. Did score, had it taken away. That was, if that's the VAR we're getting in Qatar, batten down the hatches. Yikes. So it's um, Costa Rica, Australia with the shocker over Peru. To me, that's all about Peru. Peru just mishandled this. Were not prepared. Didn't look like they were in any kind of groove. Did not complain about Andrew Redmayne and his his tactics. I would have gone up there and I would have screamed, holy hell. I go, wait a minute. Even if his feet were not off the line. Something like that happens. It's weird. And then there's footage of Redmayne throwing away the notes of Pedro Galese. Peru let Australia just shove them around. They got punked. And uh, for I feel bad for the Peruvians who traveled there and had to see that. Peru should have advanced. But... Um, Peru's just not at the same. It's they're a, they they qualify for this game, but you know when you think about the ten, the ten teams in South America, I put Peru probably at seven or eight. It was amazing that they got to this point. Colombia's better, Chile should be better, Paraguay should be better. You know Peru kind of nestles in right ahead of those two, and that's why Gareca is such a great coach. Ricardo Gareca, great player too, by the way. But what what happened? He didn't have this team ready. And to me, he's maybe the best international manager out there right now. One of the two or three. Remember, international manager is certainly not the club level. The club level is where the money's at, right? So uh, the field is set, which is a very satisfying feeling. And the, the U.S. team uh, getting a, uh, just squeezing every drop out of this window. I thought it was wonderful what, how they approached it. And the good thing is no injuries. This is a team that we talk, we'll talk in business end with. Doug McIntyre has a lot of injuries. Hopefully, they get a good run here. But if they do get injuries, they should be prepared. They were prepared for this window, no? Hmm. Feel for New Zealand. What can we do about New Zealand soccer to get them kind of going again? I just don't know. Oh, uh, the uh, cities will be announced for the 2026 World Cup. I know Los Angeles will be there. My... the. The horse in the race for me is if we can get SoFi Stadium, which is the most spectacular sports venue ever built, to host to to be a, a host venue and to be the host of the final. It's a no-brainer in my estimation. I'm not saying this because I live in LA. I, yeah, it's just it's something else. And you saw it with the last World Cup. It's it's a it's a sports and entertain last Super Bowl. It's a sports and entertainment uh, coliseum, unlike anything else. So I think they'll announce Los Angeles, but they won't announce the stadiums, but we'll see. But that's what I am pulling for because that is the stadium that separates all the others. And there should be some good news for places. Philadelphia, um, you know, is Baltimore making a push up there? Um, how, how does Florida look? Is it Miami? Is it Orlando? Is it both? It's, uh, it's going to be very... Uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that we're so pumped for this. <laughs> but I am, and I know you are too. So that's coming out on Thursday, which is 
tomorrow, recording this on a Wednesday, and I'll be in Europe. I'll do a podcast from Europe. I'm planning on going to the stadiums and the cities I'm in. Why not? And we'll talk a little bit more about what's happening in the world's game. We are off. Business end with Doug McIntyre. Stoppage time. We're talking Apple TV and MLS. The Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Tell a friend. Here in the business end, we continue with our eyes on the U.S. men's national team as they wrap up the June window, and we bring in a man who has followed them closely. You'll hear his voice on the press conferences with Greg Berhalter, one of my favorite things to do. I always pull it up on YouTube. It's Doug McIntyre of Fox Soccer, uh, also was formerly VSPN, also USMNT insider. So how did the, I know you weren't in El Salvador, so at least you didn't get your shoes dirty. If I see one more photo of dirty shoes, I might have to uh, stay off Twitter for a bit. But, you know, a lot of muddy shoes. You stay dried like the rest of us, so it's good perspective. But this was four games, a pretty decent uh, outcome for the U.S. Yeah, it was okay. I think it was a really interesting window, actually. Like, the first two games, you're facing, like, World Cup opponents, um, you're on great fields, uh, you know, those two games in the U.S., obviously. Um, and then it switches completely to, you know, the, the CONCACAF madness that we know <laughs> and love. And, you know, a completely overmatched foe in Grenada where, you know, there's some mental challenges for, for the, the team that's favored in that game. It's, and, and no matter what you do, it's like, well, does it actually mean anything considering the opposition? Um, and then a really, really difficult, crazy, highly entertaining game in El Salvador that will resemble nothing that the U.S. will face at the World Cup. But again, was still interesting, you know, just because of how insane it was. I mean, you know, you saw the weather reports before and some of the pictures coming out of San Salvador, and you knew exactly what this game was going to be like, and it delivered in every way. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much it helps on the field, but Berhalter said after that, you know, just mentally having to deal with something like that is helpful. And I can, I can see how that might be the case. I mean, there's going to be adversity in Qatar. Um, there won't be fields like that, but you know, you're going to come up against things and the ability to fight through it. I think it's important. I think it's important for a young team um, to, to have those experiences. And yeah, for us, it's something to talk about. So really interesting four games. You hit it on the head, Doug, which I knew you, you, you always do. That's why you are a top USMNT writer. Because adversity is something this team hasn't had a lot of. And you know what? I was looking around and a lot of teams, I, I look at the Nations League in Europe, and while those are challenging games, they're by and large kind of carbon copies. You're, you're facing teams within your region, good, uh, good uh, decent atmosphere, good resources, good facilities. You know, like for, for England or Germany to travel to Central Europe or something is challenging, but it's not like this. And we didn't know how they were going to put this team together, but at the end, it was a strong 11. And it looked like Greg Berhalter treated it like a World Cup game, so to speak, where he brought in some strong players off the bench, taking the conditions into consideration as well, because a lot of people were going, this could be dangerous, injuries could happen, which they could have, knock on wood, they didn't. But I look at the end of that 90 minutes and uh, more than most games, I say I thought that the U.S. are much better after this game 
than before. Some of the other games, I don't think you could say that. Certainly not Grenada. That was a good. That was a good uh, process. Good practice to get that team together and get a convincing win. Morocco and Uruguay, comfortable though. I mean, it was a good feeling. But this, you could see, not only just getting a goal late, but with those conditions in a game that was very testy and uh, sometimes nasty, a lot of pushing and shoving. I saw those guys mature in 90 minutes or hundred minutes or whatever it was more so than I saw in most games. So there was an opportunity, I guess, to rest some players, maybe play it safe. Greg Berhalter didn't. Uh, thankfully there was no injuries because it could have backfired, but in the end it looks, I mean, this was a good, this to me was the best of the four games for this growth of this team. What do you think? Yeah, I think you might be right. And it's interesting because, like, this is not a game they would have picked, right? Like, if U.S. soccer was scheduling a game, right, they were going <laughs> to schedule a World Cup opponent. We only play at home. <laughs> right, exactly, right? So uh, they're, they're dealt this. And, yeah, it's how do you – what do you do? Like, what do you think? And from the second I, I saw the fixture, on, you know, that, that this was the last of the four June games and all that, I was like, there's no way – that Berhalter is going to take Christian Pulisic down to El Salvador, Weston McKenney, Tyler. Why? What are you going yes, to learn? I, the right? same but, thing. I thought he was going to say, you guys can start your vacation. We're good. And he did. A hundred percent. Right. So, but then the other side of it, and I kind of, I kind of got it watching the game. I mean, you're watching Pulisic out there, you know, getting kicked to pieces as he always does and, you know, battling and shoving and, and the back and forth. And it's like, you know, there's something to be said for watching your leader, you know, embrace that sort of environment and and fight through it because you know if he if he does it then everyone else has to do it too so you know i get that part of it yeah from a from a mental point of view it's interesting there's been a few touchstones with this young group right we all know how talented they are the nation's league i'll go back to the nation's league last year um you know that win against honduras was a big win like they they battled in that game it's the semi-final um it's the first real competitive game for this group and they find a way to win in the end. And then that final against Mexico was really a coming of age moment for this team. For some of the reasons you, you mentioned in the game last night, like they were forced to fight. They were, it was a street fight more than it was a soccer game. And, you know, they rose to the challenge and you could see them growing in that 90 minutes. And I think that almost gave them a false sense of security that, yeah, you know, we can play CONCACAF teams. Qualifying isn't going to be anything. And of course you start qualifying in El Salvador last year and it's or last September, not even a year ago. And it was a wake up call, I think for the whole group, like the level of intensity, you're playing away, the field conditions, the travel, all the things that unless you've gone on the road to some of these places, you don't know what it's like. Like it's, you know, I remember crossing a field to, to get to a press conference, literally running across the field in a rainstorm in Antigua. And, you know, the U S team had not played well. This was the, I don't know if you remember this, Max it was the Eddie Johnson game-winning goal in Antigua and qualified yes. 2012, right? And, like, the U.S., were like, they were terrible on the night, and it's like, you know, they look terrible. And you, you know, I'd written my story. I'm trying to send my story from the press press box. There's no Wi-Fi, as usual. And, you know, to get to the press conference, you had to go across the field. And I was telling someone else's story earlier. It was a cricket oval, and there was actually, like, I don't know if it's called the mound or whatever it is, like, the part where they, you know, oh. they, where they pitch, right? I think it's the crease. I, I is some crease, the crease, but uh, yeah. uh, don't and, hold me anyway, to it. It's raised three inches off the, off, like higher <laughs> than the rest of the field. And I was like, of course they couldn't play. Like, but this is the height of Barcelona. Like Barcelona couldn't do tiki-taka out here. It's impossible. So 
I think this was a second chance in a way for the U.S. team. They go back to where qualifying started, and you could see the difference mentally for the for this team. Like they were, they knew what was coming. They were up for the fight, and they embraced it. And of course, it helped that you know there wasn't the same kind of pressure, even though it's a competitive game, as a World Cup qualifier. Um, so now that they're qualified, you see a little swagger, and yeah, like they went out and the way they fought is encouraging, and and you know that can help them at the World Cup, even if none of the soccer that on Tuesday night will. You know, it was interesting because uh, when they played that El Salvador game, there's that now famous image of Gio Reyna hearing a firework and he he shudders or he you know he he recoils. And I, I looked at the anthems this time because that very reason. I want to see, well, let's see what it looks like because I remember that there were nerves for, for good reason. This yeah. is the first time this group is in a, a World Cup qualifying. It's got the word World Cup in it, so it's important. And it was different. They were smiling. There was, a, there was some confidence about them. And there was, I think there was one image I saw on Twitter of Yunus Musa almost laughing because something, I don't know what, but he had a grin on his face and it was very disarming, which I loved. Yeah. And I bookend these two games because as you said, we could sit there. Why can't they win in Central America? Well, they can't. They have one win in 10, 10 Central American visits. That was the Honduras game. And that was a, you know, seat of your pants, second half comeback. Yes. It's going to be challenging. So to me, this one almost felt like a victory because there probably, probably a penalty should have been called in there. Obviously, the goal that was conceded is a freak type of goal, but that's what happens in these games. Uh, and the learning process, it's, it's, it's something about young players that's so important. You can't coach them. And then you, I tell this to people, and there's something I've seen covering this game, and if you've covered any sport, it rings true. you got to put yourself in those positions in those, to, to see how you react. And the reaction was so much better. And I thought just a thrilling performance at the end to make sure they didn't walk out empty-handed. And it was even the goal by Jordan Morris two moment, two seconds earlier, this great save. Yeah. It could have put their, their body language down. No, they recycle. Luca Delatore comes in and, and they tied it. And then Greg Berhalter going, let's go get a winner. Yeah. This is all, this is all good optics, right? Yeah, I think so. And even the way they played, I mean, they, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't resort to long balls over the top. They didn't like, they actually tried to play despite the conditions and, and do some of the same things that, that they've done. And, and, you know, you look at the field and you think, why are they even trying to make these kind of passes? But, you know, credit to them. Like it's, and it, you know, it's, I've heard like scouts say that, you know, modern players have a hard time because all the, because youngsters are playing on immaculate fields and like, you know, back in the old days, it was like, <laughs> you were playing with an orange on a glass field. Like, so yeah, I think it, I think it helps. So that was really interesting to me. Like the fact that they kind of stuck with their guns and, and yet were rewarded again. And the field w wasn't great, but the ball moved, the ball moved. I, I, I was, I was keen on some of the interactions. They, I, I think they found the areas where you could pass better, which was smart. That's what you would do. You know, there's a little more grass there and stay right. away from that mud. And they, <laughs> they yeah, navigated they around it parts when they could. Yeah. yeah. So uh, again, we, we I wanted to talk because there was one, there was a newsworthy comment from Greg after the game about Haji Wright. And it was a, it was, it was a little, it was a bit excessive. Uh, I mean, it kind of tore him down a bit about his performance, about not seizing the opportunity. He then followed up and said, um, uh, he still has a shot to get it. I hope he does. I thought he did. He did okay. And then he missed the chance and then he kind of disappeared. Uh, and then he was, he was pulled obviously not a huge sample size to, 
show what you've got. But another indicator that Jesus Fedeta is likely the guy. But, um, you know, he didn't play well. Reggie Cannon was another one that you, you, you leave you a bit concerned. I, I think the, whoever the backup fullbacks is, is still up for grabs because no one's really seized it. I, you have Dest and we have uh, Anthony Robinson, obviously. But that left and right back, it seems like there's, a, there's a, some work to be done. Um, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a few positions, Max, that, that, that I think are open. And I don't know that we got much more clarity this month on any of them, right? Like, Jesus Ferrara, I agree. Like, he, he came into this camp as, as the most consistent, reliable striker that they had. He's leading MLS in, in scoring. Part of that is because, you know, what passes for competition is just non-existent, right? Like, there's no one else really that's doing it, and he is. Um, and, he, you know, he's he played in qualifying he's scored a little bit. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's the guy right now. He was the guy going into camp and, you know, I didn't think he was great in, in the first two games. Um, you know, he got a, a bit of stick for a couple of misses against Uruguay, which I think was a little bit unfair um, on him. I think he's a guy that can score goals, not your typical like target center forward. Of course, it's a little bit of a different style, um, but he didn't hurt himself. And, and you talk about, you know, the misses that he had early on against Grenada, I get it. Like you're not getting many chances in a world cup game. It's one or two and you, you better score. Or you're going to pay for it. Um, but he stuck with it and then he scored four goals and he, and he, and a couple of them he took really, really well. So again, you take the opposition into consideration. Um, as far as Haji, Wright, Yeah. I think, I mean, he only got one start out of the four games and, and again, in those conditions, it's, it's, it's hard to, get on him too much for that chance he missed. I mean, he, I thought he did well to create a little bit of space, takes a shot with his weak, weaker foot and it goes wide. And who knows, maybe on a, on a better field or on a nod, you know, it's not rainy day. Like he puts that on target. Um, the, the good thing for him is again, no one else. There's really no one else. Right. I think, I think Greg will take two strikers. I think it'll be Ferreira and someone else. And if that's the case, like he's still in the mix with all the other guys that haven't really, done very much at least not lately and, and he's in that group with with ricardo pepe and josh Sargent, daryl dk and jordan pfock i mean all these guys that have been in and not been able to claim their their spot either and all of these guys are going back to europe now um at the beginning of the season knowing that if they got off to a hot start and they you know bag some goals early on that they can get called in in september and and get onto this world cup team it's very similar to what we saw in 2010 where you know, a couple guys in Hercules Gomez and Edson Buttle were just in tremendous form at the right time and got themselves to a World Cup, uh, you know, because of it. So, you know, Haji writes, he, yeah, he, he it's, it is a small sample size, um, but I don't, you know, I believe Greg in this instance, when he says this guy isn't out of the running, um, he said the same thing about John Brooks. I, I have my doubts about that. <laughs> no, but Haji right, yeah, he's, I still think he's got a shot depending on what happens. And clearly from a like culture po point of view, the guys like him and know him and they go back along. I mean, he goes back a long way with Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney. That matters. You know, it does. It does. Yeah. It does. So I wouldn't rule him out. I wouldn't rule him out just yet. And as far as some of the other positions, like you look at, you mentioned the, the right, the right back or the fullback spots, you know, I still don't think anyone did enough to like establish themselves as the clear backup to, Anthony Robinson on the, on the, the left side, George Bellow is that guy. I don't think he did anything. I don't think uh, Joe Scally who's versatile and can play both sides. And he's only 19 years old and he's a great prospect for the, for the future, but I don't think that he did anything to, to change what, what 
you know, the, the, the depth chart that, that Greg has. And he's had Serginho Dest as the starting right back. And if, if Anthony Robinson goes down, the first choice left back. And then you have two experienced guys in DeAndre Yedlin, the only guy on the squad that has any World Cup experience, which I think helps him. And Reggie Cannon, who you saw start last night, another guy Greg trusts. So I think it's possible both, you know, that, that Yedlin and Cannon and Dest, three primarily, you know, right-sided fullbacks, right backs, can make can make that squad. Um, and center back, Aaron, the only guy to start all four games this month. I wouldn't have predicted that coming in. I, I would have thought we would have seen more of Cameron Carter-Vickers. Um, we would have seen more of Eric Palmer-Brown. Um, so if the World Cup started tomorrow, I think Aaron Long is your starting center back next to Walker Zimmerman. But the World Cup doesn't start tomorrow, Max. And there's, you know, Chris Rich. <laughs> well, it would have. It would have if it wasn't it a good have, It would have. <laughs> Right. But uh, Chris Richards, I mean, we know how talented he is. Bayern Munich prospect. Greg started him in four qualifiers um, and he missed this camp through injury. But, you know, he is an experienced player in the Bundesliga now. And if he starts the season starting every game, he'll be and, and he's healthy. He'll be called in in September. And I think he'll get a shot. I don't I don't think long long was all right, but I, I didn't think he was particularly good against uh Morocco and Uruguay and those are the you know those are that's the talent level you're going to see at the World Cup and better um so Chris Richards is still in with a shout there so there, there's still you know we didn't get as much clarity as we would have liked in some of those positions you know even after these four games maybe Greg did maybe says he's seen enough I would think I'll talk about the center backs because I think it's really interesting because he had to pivot after the Miles Robinson injury quick question because I was talking this with a friend of mine, but they won't, the U S won't take three strikers. They'll take two number nines, obviously, because it's not a, a position of strength. So as you said, it's Fedeta. And I, I guess we could say whoever comes up big in the next few months, maybe Ricardo Pepe, Pepe gets on, gets on a roll or maybe Haji Wright. But that's, I mean, this is fascinating. No, it's like, who's, who's going to be that hot hand. Cause I, I truly believe it. It's going to come down to that. I think so too. And you, you look at someone like Josh Sargent who, you know, struggled for minutes in the Premier League, or at least he didn't play as a striker. He was on the wing most of the year. He was on a bad Premier League team that didn't get any chances. Now he's down in the championship. He's going to be on a, a pretty decent championship team. And maybe he gets, you know, maybe get some run it forward. We'll see Timo Pukki's on the move this year. And like anything can happen. Daryl DK gets off to a hot yeah. I mean, you, you don't know. It could be anyone really. So uh, yeah, I think that's what it'll come down to, especially at forward. Center back, I know, I know it was El Salvador, but I thought Aaron Long was one of the better players last night, but he had time to make his passes. It was tough on those conditions. And the chemistry between him and Cameron Carter-Vickers significantly better from their first partnership uh, in this June window. And I, I like to see that because you could see two guys playing for the first time, learning from that and taking it to a much better place. I liked, it was a good game for them. Two robust guys that uh, aren't, aren't going to be pushed around and they'll push around you and made themselves pretty handy on some uh, set pieces as well. And we just repelled a lot of things, but the passing was good, which is uh, for center backs is what I like to see. And I, I tend to agree. Aaron Long will probably be, be, I mean, four starts tells you that Greg Berlter probably has him in his plans. I'd love to see Greg's room. It must be these, long whiteboards of names and data and because these he he said i'm sure he's got 20 22 of the now hopefully 26 players that he will be calling into and he's just determining those last four pieces and then he determines who plays and who plays where 
but the center back situation is far from finished because of Chris Richards because he played him. He's truly a a, a mercurial talent. Doesn't have a club, so to speak, now because he's back with Bayern. Maybe they're going to do something with Hoffenheim. That's an important detail because he needs to get games because he's going to get healthy. He's going to be part of this squad if he's healthy. But I think there's a fine line if the situation is right where he can start and be a featured center back alongside Walk Zimmer or alongside Aaron Long because he, you're going to get four. I think there's that four core guys that we've mentioned Zimmerman, Long, Carter Vickers. And Richards, I feel good about those four, but who are you going to roll out against Wales? Who are you going to roll out against England? Who are you going to roll out in a round of 16 game potentially? Yeah. Yeah. They're all good questions. And you know, the one position we haven't touched on yet, Max, is the, the wings. And for good reason, there's a lot of depth there. It's like the one position that there's actually, you know, there, there's, you can go too deep on each side and you're, you feel pretty good if everyone's healthy. I mean, you look at Christian Pulisic, Brandon Aronson, um, you know, typically on the left, uh, Gio Reyna, Tim Weah on the right, like that's pretty good. But my question is, where does that leave guys like Jordan Morris, who we saw score, score that big goal last night, and Paul Ariola, who's been a consistent part of this team, uh, you know, really great locker room guy, you know, defensively, both those guys are really good, which is something that a lot of people overlook when you, you know, you talk about attacking players, like in the modern game, it's like really important that your wingers can can press and they can make it like difficult on, you know, their, their opposite fullback and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's and then, you know, does Aronson stay out wide? Does he come into the middle? Does that open up a spot? I mean, how many wingers is, is, is Greg going to take to the World Cup? Um, you know, and it might be a situation where you, you don't see both Morris and Ariola going. I mean, it, it might come down to one or the other. Wow. Um, so yeah, you don't, you don't know. I mean, I would like to think that both of them make it. I think they're both deserving and players and underrated by a large segment or at least a small, you know, vocal minority <laughs> portion of the U S yes. yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we'll see, but I think, I mean, Jordan Morris didn't play the first two games, but I think that's a huge goal for him. Yeah. Like, it, I think it is. And like, you forget he started his career as a striker, you know, and this is a team that's struggling to score goals. Like, he can get on the end of headers, right? In in on set pieces, like he can score that kind of goal. And I, and again, like against the kind of fullbacks and defenders that you're going to see, particularly from Wales and England, like you know he's a big body and he can get in there and bang and bang away. And and you know that I think might give Greg something to think about. But it's going to be fascinating to see how it shakes out. It's it's fascinating. I know. I, I, I'll explain this to my wife, and she goes, "Are you?" Are you high or something? I mean, what are you talking about? I just love it. I love it because there's so much data that you you put in. So it's you. May, I, I have not heard this, Doug, and that's interesting about the opponents, Wales and England. And we have to remember that both Morris and Ariola were brought in by championship teams, which play a very British style of football. And obviously, it didn't end well for either. Uh, injuries saw them come back pretty promptly, and a really cataclysmic injury for Jordan Morris but he's back and I think that's a that's something that uh is certainly in play here I'll also tend to think that with Jordan Morris he's not going to start nor is Paul Ariola. but for Greg Berhalter to put him in and for him to get a goal as a sub late that's got to be food for thought because that's exactly a role that he'd want him to to play I, I I'm very I'm smitten on a on a bench impact that the U.S. will have uh, people want to get Brendan Aronson in the 11. I don't think 
it's feasible with the way the guys ahead of him have played unless a Tim Weah starts to sputter, but no one else I think is replaceable in the midfield, but him and Luca Della Torre and perhaps a Jordan Mars or a Paul Ariola, maybe a Ricardo Pepe off the bench is you have a lot of interesting parts that could help change a game. And I know yeah. some of the, t- I mean, England has that and Wales to a lesser degree, yeah. but not everyone does. No, not everyone does. And, it, and it, it's, you know, I remember when the U S lost to Belgium in 2014, you know, there, there's all the hand wringing about, you know, the, the missed chances or, or whatever and all this. And it's like, you lost, you lost two to one in extra time to a team that has like guys playing for Manchester United when they're good, uh, like sitting on, you know, didn't even get off the bench. Right. Like, Watching the uh, the Italy Germany game uh, the other day, like Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz didn't get off the bench for Germany. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a guy that scored the winning goal in the Champions League, you know, last year. Like that's scary. It's insane. So, like, by the way, the Germans are are rocketing up the oh, the gambling yeah. boards as favorites, which is somewhat surprising, but terrifying for opponents for the Germans. I'm sure. I mean, you never bet against the Germans at a world cup. I mean, that, that's, that's, that should be a no brainer, but yeah, I mean, to, to think like you think of someone like Giovanni Reina, who we all know how talented he is. And, you know, like, is he a starter on this team? Like, and if he is, who comes out, you take Tim way out, like the way has been in terrific form. Is, do you potentially have Gio Reina coming off yeah. the bench in a world cup? I mean, that, that's an incredible position to be in. And, you know, frankly, like I did not think we would get here this fast as a, as a country. Um, you know, that that's a pretty that's a pretty amazing thing if that if that were comes to pass. Same with Brendan Aronson, who I think is going to be fantastic in the Premier League with Leeds. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, he just fits perfectly in that league with that team, with that coach. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be hard to keep Aronson off the field. But again, that is a high quality problem for Greg Burrell. I mean, and that's, I mean, those are the positions that most teams struggle to fill to have those world-class wingers, creative midfielders. And I forgot to mention Gio Reyna. And obviously right now he'll project as a sub because he hasn't played, but he's obviously someone who could come up there. Uh, Brendan Aronson, the midfield move against Morocco was awesome. Did he tailed off a bit, certainly in the El Salvador game, wasn't, wasn't great and was substituted, but um where do you put him? And I don't think there's anywhere. The only thing I could think of was Weston McKenney's not quite back yet. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't fitting in post injury and you would hope that would get better. Well, I thought it got a lot better last night. He, yeah. he was Weston McKinney, uncompromising, pushing people, uh, passing one touch, passing beautifully to set up players. That's a, uh, and I would say, Weston McKinney before that game is still a guy you lock into the starting 11 because it's Weston McKinney and he's earned that. But that game gave me some comfort that he's on the way back. That was the one where he started looking a little bit more pre-injury. How did you see him? Amazing. And he was in un- unbelievable form pre- pre-injury. Um, just incredible how-, how good he was. Well, especially I got to watch him live in a, in a couple games back to back in those January, uh, those January, February woke up qualifiers uh, at Canada. And then the, the, uh, the frozen game in, in Minneapolis or in St. Paul um, against Honduras. And, you know, he's, he's such a special player. Um, I think that three man midfield, like they're, they're all like, it's such a, it's another really hard problem for Greg. Cause like, you, you can't tinker with that. You can't no, right? what are you gonna do, right? And like, 
I get the the argument that you need more creativity in there, maybe. And you know, it's interesting to watch Musa, who's another guy. He was fantastic last. Unbelievable. Night. Yeah, and some of the things he can do are just incredible. And I and I get like, you know, it was, it was interesting to watch live against Uruguay. Like, you know, he'd make an incredible run, and he'd see surging past guys like they're standing still. Um, but his teammates would get frustrated at him at, at times. Like Anthony Robinson made a run down the left, and he didn't, you know, he didn't release him and. And he's mad and I, and I get it. And there's still, you know, he's only 19 and he's, he's going to get better, which is another scary thought. Um, so I get the argument that like it, with, with McKenney and, and Musa and Adams, you know, that's, there are three guys that, you know, they're mainly, you know, they're mainly defensive players or two-way players. They're not, you know, McKenney can certainly get in and score goals and get in the box and all that. Um, but, you know, maybe you need someone with a bit more creativity in there, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you, how you pull anyone out. The other thing, Max, is though you're going to have injuries and there's going to be, you're going to need to rotate at a World Cup. There's going to be guys that, that can't play. Um, and I think actually that's going to sort out a lot of these problems because there will be, I mean, look how many guys were missing. How many guys were missing in the last window of qualifying? I mean, it was a, it was, it was a lot of key players. I mean, yep. we've seen that. We saw that throughout qualifying. It's going to be the same in the World Cup. You know, Christian Pulisic, you know, out of the first 10 games, I think he started three, like, you know, McKenney missed a couple windows. Um you go down the list, Reina available for, for, you know, one qualifier until the, the last, the last three, the last set of games. And he wasn't even healthy enough then to start in any of them. Um, so, you know, some of these, some of these, you know, we, we all like to operate like everyone's going to be healthy and it's not the case. So we'll, uh, we'll Doug have is, to. Doug, are you breaking stories there? The phones are on and I, no, I, I know I'm I, getting, cause no. I'm just saying, if you're breaking a story, this is a great place to do it. <laughs> i can see why you would you would think that back but yeah um yeah so it's you know th there's going to be guys that can't play and, and we've seen adams and mckinney um and musa all get injured in the last year so it's important to to have some alternatives and we've seen greg try some different guys in there it was the uh you know the ama mid midfield at the beginning of the game last night with aronson adams uh and musa to start off we've seen adams uh, sorry, Aronson, he played inside in a number of games. Like there was, he started uh, in the middle and not on the wing in, um, in two of the four games. And he came on, on a halftime in the other one, in the same position. So it seems like that, you know, that we, there's been talk about Christian Pulisic potentially coming inside, Gio Reyna coming inside, um, Luca Della Torre. I, I really like him as a player on the offensive end. Like I think he can, he can control the pace and make passes and do things like that that are important. I don't know if he can do it against a team as robust as England at a World Cup. Um, you know, I think you you probably need someone a bit more resilient in there. And I think Aronson might be that guy. So, you know, that's, I think, I think if they're going to, if there's going to be a change in that MMA infield, we, midfield, we know the guy that's going to come in there and it's Brendan Aronson. And the thing with Aronson, his trajectory on the club level has just gone up, up, up. It hasn't stopped, hasn't deviated, hasn't come down. He continues to hit his a new ceiling and with the amount of money that Leeds spent on him they're going to play him and he's going to be a big featured part of whatever success or failure but i i'm confident that he's going to have a fantastic second half of 2022 leading into the world cup because that's how Leeds with jesse marsh project him and jesse obviously is seen he is banking on 
and Brendan Aronson in a very important job because they, they can't get into a relegation fight again. He's going to have a good season. And I think many people feel Leeds have the ambition to do that. But all of that's there, Doug. And then you mentioned the injuries you shouldn't have, but you did. <laughs> but it's going to happen. It would be naive to think, look, as you said, I, I, I forgot about the injuries. That's how, I, how promising it was overall with the U.S. here that Dest and Richards and Reyna uh, right. and guys, some guys who weren't brought in like Pepe or that weren't here. So yeah. they were able to absorb that. So chances are they'll be able to absorb whatever happens in the, uh, in the world cup. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of, you will be covering that for, uh, for Fox. Very excited to go to Qatar. And uh, I, I love, <laughs> I always, maybe I'm alone on this, but I'm fascinated because all the uh, USMNT writers, we hear them in the press conference and you guys are many times in the same uh, press pantry or what have you. And do you, is there any knife fights between you and Ives or Grant or Carl? I know Carlisle is probably up to no good. Do you guys like maybe do play some hijinks, put a bucket of water on the hotel door? How does that work? No, no, nothing, <laughs> nothing like that. It's a great group. Um, and, and most of the guys you mentioned, you know, known them for 20 years and we've been doing this a long time but brian strauss i throw in there um brian strauss yes so so many so many guys Stephen goff <laughs> Stephen goff yeah um you know paul tenorio and uh, sam stasekal you know great great friends of mine great at what they do for the athletic uh yes kind of, kind of the, the new batch coming up behind behind the older guard and keeping <laughs> us all on our, on our toes you're probably uh, saying are you sure you want to get into this are you yeah. sure this is something you want to pursue yeah um, but no, it's a, it's a great group and, and, you know, we all, we, we've traveled all around the world together and, you know, kind of look out for each other and, and, you know, help each other. We're, we're competitors, uh, you know, but we're also, we're also friends and, you know, if someone's recorder stops in the middle of a press conference. It's not like, well, too bad for you. It's like, you know, we're all there to help each other out. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's really enjoyable. There, there's, uh, you know, there, you'll see screaming matches every now and then, um, you know, usually directed at PR people, not, a, not other reporters, but um, cameramen you know, ah. <laughs> moments uh, in, in the press box. But it's been great, Max, just to, you know, to after two years of COVID to, you know, to get back out and on the road and and talk to some of the, the players and, and coaches in person and, and even like the support staff who you get to know over the years um, who, are, who are great people and, and you, know, you ask about their kids and kind of catch up and and things like that so that that's been really fun and, and I, I i can't wait to to go to qatar you know when you when you work in soccer that is the uh, the world cup is is the best the biggest thing you can do so never take it for granted it's always a always a privilege and yeah i'm counting the days to november 21st bring the whiskey in your bag because you may have to be hard pressed you know late night you need something to take take the edge off after you've been working for 16 hours so maybe you can slip a couple johnny walkers or something in there you'll have to leave your swim trunks and maybe that second hawaiian shirt or whatever so you won't sit by the pool but it's worth it that's my that's my advice uh and i just want to say uh how much i appreciate what you guys do because i mean i honestly this time of the year or this time of every four years in particular I follow all you guys and the information you provide helps me do things like this and keeps me up to speed. It's a tough job because you have to, it, I, I know it's making relationships and getting information and breaking stories. That is a skill set. And uh, as an American soccer fan base, if people think they could do it, uh, I challenge you to do it because this is, this is tedious, hard work, and you're on the road, you're away from your home and your family a fair bit. So uh, much appreciated 
to what you guys do. Is there some advice for someone who would want to to do this for a living that you would give? Follow being a rider, following a national team, or following a club. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's. I mean, it, for me, it's never. It is a job, and it is long hours, and it is competitive, and it is. You know, there's there's all these things. Not a lot of job security in. Uh, you know, in in digital media or print journalism or or whatever it is. It's it's volatile, but um, but it, it doesn't feel like work most of the time, and that's the greatest thing you could say. And um, yeah, I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to do this as long as I have for, for di some different outlets. And, uh, and yeah, it's, if you, if you, I would never dissuade anyone from, from, from doing it. Um, it's not easy, but there's nothing like it. And there's a, there's a buzz that comes with it and, you know, being able to, to go around the world on someone else's dime, you, you can't, you can't beat that. So that's what it is, Doug, isn't it? That's what it is. Yeah, so I mean, you get it's a, funny though. Like you know, you know how it is too, though. Like you're not, you're not bringing your swim trunks. You're not. You go to cities and you don't even see them. You're in a hotel room. You're in a press conference. You're in a media bus, and 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 all that. It's not, it's not glamorous a lot of the time, but it is, it is fascinating, and I enjoy the behind the scenes and and you know finding out information and 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 all those things. There's so many different skills that are required, especially now. You know, even more than than before, where you have to do podcasts like this one, video stuff, all that stuff. So um yeah i'm i'm very lucky max and uh you know we've both been doing it a long time and i hope we continue to do it for a lot longer it's important to have that and by do bring bring your swim trunks man there's gonna be some nice pools there even for like an hour no time. No come time. on bring a hat at least so you can sit down there and not get that direct sun even in those cold qatari winters but that's important experience matters so much and it takes years to accrue and that's why it's so it makes it easy because you know i i reached out to doug and said hey can we do this we don't really prep. I go, we'll just have a conversation. It'll go in different directions and we'll manage, but you have to build up to that. So I, that's awesome. And you've, uh, you've earned that clout. So much appreciated. So the world cup, uh, any, uh, I, I'm intrigued because I'm confident it's going to be wild and some regions will come through that maybe historically don't maybe that african success story happens maybe it's an asian one maybe it's the qataris maybe this iran or saudi arabia get on a tear because they're close to home which generally helps teams and remember you got that little the arabians at the arabian gulf and all those countries are very close and that'll help them you have to imagine because everyone else is making long long trips the south american teams uh feel like they have a shot because it's not in Russia and we saw them struggle when it's in Europe and the European overwhelming and uh, in that last 2018 edition. Maybe it's CONCACAF. I don't, couldn't tell you, but my, my thought, if I, someone asked me, I go prepare for it to get a little upside down. Uh, and hopefully that includes the U.S. making a run. How is there something about the World Cup that you would venture a guess about as to how it might look if from a U.S. perspective or from a global one? Yeah, I've said the same thing to, to people that you just said, Max. I think this this is a weird World Cup in so many ways. I mean, the obvious one, like you said, normally the World Cup would be going on right now. So to have it at the end of the year, um, in the middle of the European club season, right at the end of the MLS season, it's just so strange. We're, we're so used to the natural rhythm, you know, over decades, right? Like, the, this is how it goes. Um, and then you throw COVID in, when I mentioned before, like last couple of years, like that, came into play you have what's normally a two-year world cup qualification process you know 
it's it's it has to be done in like what was it nine months was it even that long like i don't think it was that long right seven months whatever it was um so it just everything feels off and and yeah it's when the world cup is outside of europe strange things tend to happen and and i you know i think when you combine that with the fact that it's a different time of year um it's going to be really weird you're going to see a lot of upsets teams that you think would won't teams that you know are, are not fancied or going to go on runs um i certainly hope the u.s team you know from, from a selfish work point of view that they that they go far and you know people will be you know reading my my stuff and seeing my face and all that so um that's good for business if it happens and um and yeah i mean it's again i, I agree with your point about south american teams I, you know i i think that definitely helps them they they always seem to struggle in europe they always seem to do well when world cups are are in in other places although the last time, uh, the last two times it was a World Cup outside of Europe, a European team won for the first. <laughs> never happened before 2010 when uh, the Netherlands won. So, uh, sorry when uh, when Spain beat the Spain, yeah. final. Yeah, so um, it's uh, it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird in every way. Um, the, the the size of the country. Last World, I mean, I was in France for the women in 20, uh, 2019, and in Brazil in, in 2014, and the amount of travel you have to do between venues, even in a small country like France, which was great, you get on a train and it's a few hours away. But, um, you know, this is like all the stadiums are in the same city. I mean, what's that going to be like? I mean, can you, I'm excited for the, the amount of games people are going to be going to, like fans can go to way more games than they ever would have been able to. And, and it's just, yeah, everything about it is going to be different. And you're going to see strange things happen. I'm convinced, uh, as convinced as you are. We like strange things. I, I had my, and this is subject to change, but I had my bracket. I have the USA losing to Argentina in the quarterfinals, which is, you know, what do you want? I'm going to, I'm going to, it's my bracket. It's my bracket. And then I had Argentina, Brazil semifinal. And I got, I got way too excited putting those teams through. It was like, huh. so I know I, I messed it up. And by the way, 2002, Korea, Japan was one of those wild ones. And you had the USA in the quarterfinals. You had South Korea in the semifinals. You had Turkey in the semifinals. You had Senegal was the quarterfinals. Yeah. And in the end, you have Germany, Brazil. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. I don't think we're going to see anything. I don't think we're, we're – there's only eight teams that have ever won a World Cup. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see some dark horse come in. I mean, I, I was shocked that Croatia made a final four years ago. I mean, that yeah, that's doesn't just... happen very often, right? Like, good for them. And, and, you know, I do think it'll start to change. Like, even in my career, I've seen – I've seen the, the the playing field get more level as as you know the world becomes smaller and and you know the, the sport grows and and more and more countries are producing better players. We've certainly seen that in the U.S. We've seen it in Canada um, just in the last you know number of years. So um, I think at, you know at some point you'll start to see you know outsiders get to the final and win the thing. But yeah, when it's all said and done. Uh, a week before Christmas, you're going to see two, uh, two of the usual suspects in there. And uh, yeah. We'll Good. See who wins. It's good. You want that. And you want all the madness beforehand. Yeah. Doug McIntyre soccer rider for Fox who will be there at the world cup covering the U S and many other stories here in the business end of the soccer OG. You're an OG, my friend. It's uh, great to catch up with you. Good dude. Uh, we, we shared space at ESPN and I'm so happy that you're going to go off on this adventure. Thanks so much for having me, Max. It's great to see you. Appreciate you thinking of me. And yeah, we could, we could continue this conversation for, uh, a lot longer. So maybe we'll get a, a chance to do it again before long. We will. And that's the problem with this. It's like, I, I earmark amount of time and I'm like, Oh boy, 
<laughs> I try to keep these pods in an hour. You're like, all right, then make sure, but it's impossible. But yeah. I enjoy it, and that's why I do it. Yeah. Doesn't Doug, feel like work, Max. Let me tell no, you. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Doug McIntyre out of the business end. We'll be back with stoppage time. We'll talk about the uh, the new relationship between MLS and Apple TV. That's next. It's time now for stoppage time. And uh, breaking on Tuesday, something that I was on top of, or at least I thought I was, for months. MLS agreeing to a 10-year broadcast deal with Apple worth $2.5 billion, $250 million a year. They will broadcast Apple TV. That is every single MLS and Leagues Cup match as part of the deal. Everything. MLS Cup, uh, the linear partners, Fox, Univision, and ESPN still looking to get gains, which will still be on Apple TV. So I don't know how valuable that would appear for those broadcasters. This is English and Spanish on Apple TV and French. And it's going to be available everywhere. And everyone has Apple products, iPhones, uh, MacBooks, you name it, uh, iPads, iWatch. And they'll be able to watch MLS. That's a pretty cool deal when you, it, this is groundbreaking. There's no doubt about it. We haven't really seen it. Um, it's exciting to think of a place that really wants to promote, and they have to promote MLS on uh on apple tv and apple is one of if not two or three biggest brands in the world right apple disney uh that's pretty at the top windows what is it it's not ibm anymore i have no idea but that's one of the biggest brands um no blackout restrictions so local broadcasts are gone that affects me i was a local broadcaster for lafc this is a huge bump from what Univision and ESPN and Fox paid $90 million a year. So it goes up to 250 per year, which is shared with the clubs. MLS is going to do the production of everything. They want to centralize the feeds like they do with the Premier League and most major leagues. And just so you know what that feels like, if you watch the Premier League on NBC, they would have that main game which they produce with Arlo, no longer Arlo, I uh, wish Arlo, by the way, all the good luck co- covering golf. Uh, he's a good dude. And they would produce that and they would have their studio. But all the other games of the nine other games that weekend, it's a world feed. You know the announcers. They come out and they do it. Generally from stadium. And I think Apple's going to try and uh, shadow that by and large. So uh, it's, um, it's, it's, we heard so many horror, so many, discouraging stories about where this was going and with my uh horse in the race being local and being affiliated with lafc and being that local guy let's 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 start here mls is a local product and you've got to cater to it locally i talk to lafc fans they don't watch mls other than lafc same can be said everywhere you don't pick up and watch philadelphia union revolution if you're in L.A., you don't watch San Jose LA Galaxy if you are in the South. That's just the way it is. Many sport leagues are that way. The NFL isn't, and that's the NBA to a little bit lesser degree. You just don't watch those out-of-market games. Maybe one day. But uh, you, your strength lies in the locals, and there's a lot of successful local broadcasts. I would like to include ours in there. I know it, it, speaking to Brian Dunseth, Rail Salt Lake makes money on their local broadcast. Atlanta make money on their local broadcast. That's going away. 
And that's an important revenue stream for these clubs. So that's my big concern. How do you serve the locals? The Some of the details coming out is if you're a season ticket holder, you get a free subscription. I would imagine the same applies to employees of MLS. Uh, but you've got to find a way to develop new fans. And that within that is where within lies the challenge. Uh, Apple being that brand, and if they truly want to promote it, will help. And I can tell you firsthand, it looks like Fox is out. If you watch Fox coverage, they have been pulling back, pulling back financially. They uh, guys don't go, John and Stu don't go to the games anymore. They cut back on studio. There is some very tight purse strings. I can't confirm that, but you can tell. I had to watch Costa Rica versus New Zealand on FS2 with the world feed, which was weird. And Fox, seemingly out of the the week-to-week soccer business, but will be the venue for the World Cup and the Euros, which I think is pretty dangerous because we've seen this before and in other sports, and you need some familiarity with the fans. Just to come out of the blue and all of a sudden, hey, we're here for the World Cup is odd. So fans aren't going to go to Fox and say, hey, that's a place where I get my soccer. They will still go to ESPN because ESPN Plus has an amazing uh, showcase of soccer games now fronted by La Liga and the Bundesliga. I would imagine they'll be back in to try and get the Serie A. We'll see. Uh, I mean, it's been a hot potato with these league rights. It's hard to keep up. But, I mean, it's a healthy situation. Uh, CBS obviously made that push, so they weren't going to come involved with MLS with they do with Champions League, specifically also the Serie A. And they've really invested. It's great to see. There hasn't been a great return of investment, so we'll see how that ends up for these uh, for these broadcasters. I can tell you firsthand, working at ESPN, that promoting MLS was an uphill battle for the entire nine years I was there. I created a little segment to try to be cute, called it "Bend It Like Bredos," and I, within it, I had the soccer, and I'd throw a couple MLS highlights, and I'd promote the game tomorrow. I would get laughed at. <laughs> They'd, it would always get taken off the show. Sorry, we've got to get this Winnipeg-Calgary Flames highlight in. There was a funny little stick play. And I'm like, really? But that was every week. And after a while, you just get frustrated. So ESPN doesn't do that. If I was in charge of ESPN, and obviously they have people that are much smarter than I am, and it's a huge success. And this applies to UFC, which they are right of. And MLS. If it's your property, you tell your employees, on-air, producers, PR, you promote your properties every which way. If you promote it on-air, you better make it sound like you know what you're talking about. You better watch these games. You better watch these fights. I didn't understand that. I would have made it a priority. If you want to work here, you've got to watch MLS. That's what I would say. If you want to work here. Instead, it was kind of scoffed at it, laughed. And I think ESPN got what they wanted with the return of uh, hockey. And to be perfectly honest, ESPN built a fan base which doesn't really involve the soccer viewer. And that's to be respected. I'm not being critical of that. You know you go to ESPN to watch NBA, football, college football, and hockey. That's the way it was, and that's the way it looks like it's going to be. Soccer goes elsewhere. we got to accept that. So, uh, you know, I was also at ESPN and when the World Cup came around, there was no U.S. And, you know, I was, you know, I talked to all the guys there. There was no World Cup coverage over the air on SportsCenter. Didn't even talk about it. Small little taste here. No highlights, nothing. They had a chance to buy the highlights for the World Cup. They decided not to. 
that's fine. But then, you see, I, I can't look at it both ways. If that's not your property, then you got to prioritize your properties. And by the way, ESPN gets behind something, it succeeds. Look at the Little League World Series. Look at the X Games, really behind it. Look at the women's softball tournaments. If they get behind something, WNBA, they can make it successful. So that didn't happen. That could happen at Apple. And I hope that there's a, an emphasis there. They go, we are as an Apple employees. This is our baby. We just dropped 2.5, did I get the numbers right? 2.5 billion on this over 10 years, which <laughs> we're talking, I go, that's like a pennies for uh, Apple, right? The amount of money they bring in. That's like digging around your pocket. Oh, I found 2.5 billion. It's really a low impact investment and they're getting a lot of inventory, right? A lot. So, uh, I, that is, the, the Apple's involvement's exciting, but we have to see how it works out, and you cannot, you, you, you need to win fans, but you can't lose fans, so you've got to be honest to them. I would like to think in the production that, and this is going to be involving me, and I want to be part of the Apple TV, I'd love to call MLS Cup on Apple TV, I would, I, I stand by my broadcast skills, and it's a competitive um, it's a competitive market, but I would stand by what I do as um, amongst the best in this country. And I've done it for a long time and I've called some big games. So this is not, um, this is not my resume right here, is it? I mean, if anyone's listening, but that's, that's the plan is to go there and find work and all the other broadcasters who I know, uh, pretty intimately across the league are going to do the same. And many of them aren't going to be involved and some of them will probably step away from covering this sport permanently, which is very aggravating. I hope that they make these guys whole every, I don't know how it looks. Maybe I'm talking about myself. Maybe I'm left out. It's a subjective business. I've learned that over the years. But I would suggest to Apple and MLS, go to your strengths, go to some people that know the sport, who are invested in this league, who care about this league, don't get cute. Uh, I saw Apple get a little cute with the baseball, and I don't think that's working. They got a kind of an alternate broadcast uh, approach on Friday nights. I listened to a little bit. It wasn't great, but baseball's not really my jam either. MLS is. So it's important to be very honest about that and uh, get people, and this is what's good about MLS being there. They're gonna have to, they're gonna have to outsource a lot because this is a huge project is get people in the positions of the executive level who know this league, who know this sport, and let's push through. So it's uh, it's exciting. I mean, it, we were worried because there was news breaking that Apple TV was out, and I didn't hear any other dis any other broadcaster that was involved. You know, MLS was like, no, no, thank you. No, thanks. We were hearing some dire consequences and I would think ESPN will stay in it somehow because they've invested so much. And Univision, because of the League's Cup, that is valuable. And look, a lot of the Univision market, I, I work I work at the Univision studios covering Combate Global. A lot of their uh, audience doesn't probably have Apple TV, don't have a reason to get Apple TV because they don't, it's not catered to a Latino audience, right? You, you need to, you look at their shows they have, you know, it's... Maybe that's something Apple TV has to look at. I mean, we are, the Latinos are so underrepresented everywhere, but they are a big dollar sign, right? So 
there's there is for Univision the, the the separation with Apple TV makes sense. So I'm going to head off on vacation. I won't think about this. And when I come back, we will see where we lie because it's going to happen very quickly. It starts next year. And uh, you'll be the first to know (laughs) about my situation. But I hope uh, everyone else has a good transition too because that's the first thing I thought of really is people that may not be covering this league because it's going to be contracted a bit with regards of the local broadcasters. And that hurts. But you've got to be connected. I hope every MLS team maintains these guys and girls and keeps a local content team where they can pump stuff out even though they're not calling games. That's important. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. We'll be in Europe for our next podcast. Not sure what that's going to look or sound like. And then we'll be back and we will get ready as we are bearing down on the World Cup. I appreciate all of you. See you soon. Hear you soon. Until then, Placido Domingo. <laughs>